The topic of our sermon this morning is hell. And did you just hear that noise? It was the sound of all the air being sucked out of the room over this unpleasant topic. I got a little amused when I uh, looked out the window and I saw our sign out front. And you know, we're going through this one word series and we've had our word of the week on the sign every week, you know, word of the week. I looked out, word of the week, hell. There's nothing, nothing that says, come on in and join us like seeing that word hell flash up on the sign, hell. You know, for a lot of people, the doctrine of hell is a you lost me moment. There are many people in our culture that are attracted to many elements of our faith. And they like Jesus. And there are many teachings of Christianity that they find appealing. But when you start to talk about judgment and hell, they just tune out. They don't like to hear about it. Uh, It's offensive to them. It's repugnant. And so for them, while there may be a lot that they like about Christianity, hell is something that they don't, and and it's a you lost me moment. And so that's why we don't talk about it a whole lot. You know, you used to hear more sermons about hell, didn't you? Some of our older members, and I'm not going to, you know, set up any kind of age bracket here. I'm not going to fall into that trap. But you know who you are. You remember as a child hearing those what we call the old-fashioned hell, fire, and brimstone sermons. And the preachers could stand up there and they could talk about hell in such a way that you could almost feel the heat coming from the podium. But we don't talk about it much anymore. I mean, flip around on the TV stations and hear some of the preachers these days, and there's a lot that we would not agree with that that come from those guys. But you will hardly ever hear a sermon about judgment or hell. In fact, I remarked to some of you that I was glad last week for our friends and family day, the word hell did not fall on that day. Because, I mean, we're going to bring all these people in and then I'm going to get up and drop this, this heavy topic on them. And, and so I said to you, I'm kind of thankful that hell's sort of tucked away on just an ordinary run-of-the-mill Sunday where we can get together and talk about it. We don't like to talk about it. And yet, the Bible talks about it. And if we are concerned with proclaiming the whole counsel of God, it is a topic which we cannot ignore. And so this morning, as unpleasant as it may be, we're going to talk about hell. Because it's important for us to cover it. Now, when I say the doctrine of hell, just so that we're all on the same playing field, so that we're all on the same page, I'm talking about, well, a lot of what Paul teaches in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the passage that was read for us earlier. And it may be helpful to you to get out your Bible and just open it up to 2 Thessalonians 1 in your New Testament because Paul lays out in a, in a very helpful understanding way what this teaching is all about, the doctrine of hell. When I am talking about hell, what I'm talking about is, is what Paul says here, that at the return of Christ, at His appearing... At the second coming, those who do not know God and follow Christ will endure eternal destruction, separated, and this is the worst part of hell. We should acknowledge this. Separated from the presence of God. And hopefully as we go throughout this sermon, we will begin to see why that is 
the very worst part. Now, I thought about how do I put together a sermon on this topic that will be helpful and beneficial to you. So what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to ask you to use your imagination a little bit. And I want you to picture and imagine that I'm having a conversation with somebody who struggles with hell, with, with the very idea of it, with the fact that the Bible teaches it. This is not going to be hard for you to imagine because as we just said, there are a lot of people in our world who really, really have issues with this. And maybe you have had a discussion with somebody and they were asking you questions about this teaching and you just didn't quite know how to answer those. If you're in those shoes, then this sermon is for you. Or maybe you're seated in the audience today and you're the one who is struggling with the idea of hell. And that's okay. Because I bet that there's not one person in here who hasn't, at least in passing, thought, hmm, man, that's tough. That's really tough for me to wrap my mind around that. So we're all seeking and we're all trying to, to discern God's will and chase after Him. And so it's okay if you're out there and you're somebody who maybe even right now is struggling with this teaching. This sermon is also for you. And I want you to know, I'm drawing on what I believe are some really helpful resources. A couple books. One is called The Case for Faith, written by a gentleman, it's almost 20 years old now, written by a gentleman named Lee Strobel, who was once upon a time an editor at the Chicago Tribune, an atheist. And he came to faith, and he writes a book about some of the, some of the biggest concerns that people have with Christianity. And one of his chapters is called, How Can a Loving God Send People to Hell? Very helpful. And then there's another book called The Reason for God from Tim Keller. And he has a chapter devoted to the Christian teaching of hell and the difficulty that so many have with it. And let me also at this point tell you that the readings in your one-word book, do you all remember those? It's that book that you started reading at the beginning of the year and now it's gathering dust on your nightstand. Anybody remember? Okay, the readings for hell are exceptional. And so I know as any goal at the beginning of the year goes, you know, you start strong and then as the months drag on, you kind of slack off. And we are reaching almost the halfway point of our year. And so I'm not going to judge you if you've been slacking, but let me just put in a little word of encouragement. Read the devotionals on hell this week. They, will, they have been very helpful to me in my study. I believe they will be helpful to you. Okay, this conversation between a skeptic and a believer. Let's start the conversation where we started our sermon. I think it might begin in this way. You might have somebody say, I am offended by the idea of hell. What do you say? You might say, you're not alone. A lot of people out there just like you. It's tough to understand what this is all about. But let me ask you something. Should we reject a teaching of Scripture simply because it offends our cultural sensibilities? Now, if Christianity is the truth of the universe delivered by God, if it transcends culture, if it's transcultural reality, truth, then we ought to expect the Bible, to offend our culture at some point. Because 
our culture is located in a specific time and a specific place, and we've got certain values that are specific to what our society is, is all about. Wouldn't you expect the transcendent truth of God to offend your culture at least at some point? Maybe, maybe the point at which the Scriptures offend our culture is this point of judgment, of hell. I think what happens often in our world is when there's a rub between the the teaching of Scripture and between my own thoughts and feelings, the default position is we question Scripture and we question God. And we say, but it just can't be that way because it just doesn't, I just don't think that God would do that. Or it just doesn't feel right. Folks, that sets us on a very dangerous path. When there is a rub between the teaching of Scripture and between our own thoughts, we should not by default dismiss God. We should question ourselves and question our own feelings and thoughts. And and we should think, maybe I don't have the whole picture here. Maybe I'm limited. We should be humble. Maybe I'm limited by this brain and by my location in my time and my place and my culture. And maybe God's right. Yes, this teaching is offensive, but I don't think we should dismiss it just because it happens to be offensive to people in our culture today. J.P. Moreland, the Christian philosopher, said this, people have never had a difficult time with the idea of hell until modern times. It was never a problem for people on the whole until recent years. So maybe as you continue, continue your discussion with this person, you ask this question. What is it that offends you about hell? What do you find offensive about it? And suppose the person says, well, I believe in a God of love. I believe that God is all loving. And this just doesn't jive with my vision of a loving God. What would you say to that? I would say, hey, I believe in a loving God too. Absolutely. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is love. And do you know where that, that idea comes from? The idea that God is love? It comes from the Bible. We don't have this idea that God is love apart from the teachings of the Holy Bible. That's where we get it. Tim Keller, uh, I mentioned his book earlier, he studied a lot of world religions, Confucianism and Buddhism and Islam and Hinduism, and he says this in his studies, I found no other religious text outside the Bible that said God created the world out of love and delight. Where do you think we get this idea that God is a God of love? We get it from no other place than the Bible. There is no other religious text out there that is comparable to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We only get that conception of God from the Bible. And so if we embrace the Bible's conception of God as a God of love, we have to do so on the Bible's terms. And the same Bible that declares that God is love also says that He's a God of judgment. And if we embrace the Bible's notion that God is a God of love, we cannot leave out the Bible's notion that God is a God of judgment. You can't pick one 
and reject the other. You have to embrace the entire vision of the character of God when you're looking at the Scriptures. So God's concerned with judgment and justice. And maybe the person you're having a conversation with says, okay, okay, okay. I can accept that God is concerned for for those things. I mean, I get it. Uh, Justice and judgment and that sort of thing. But sending people to eternal punishment? Goodness, that seems seems like a bit much, doesn't it? And I might say, well, let me challenge that premise. Let me push back a little bit on on the way that you set up that statement. Because in a way, God doesn't... You said, how could God send anybody to hell? But in a way, God doesn't send anyone to hell. And this is, I think this is where we, we go off, off track here. This is where we don't think about the issue properly. Let's reframe it. We were created, the Bible teaches, we were created to enjoy the presence of God. You know, we sang that beautiful old song, God is the fountain whence. 10,000 blessings flow. He is the source of every pleasure and delight and good thing that can be enjoyed. I wonder if we really believe that. If we really believe that every good thing we enjoy comes from God. I think if we did, we would worship Him more often. Uh, We would be more eager to thank Him. But that's the truth. Every good thing we enjoy comes from God. He created us to enjoy His presence and a relationship with Him. But sin comes into the world and messes everything up and it separates us from God. And when we live in sin, which we do as a default setting when we become grown-ups, when we live in sin, we choose to live apart from God, the source of all good things the source of life and beauty and delight. And when we choose that path, God will respect that decision into eternity. God is not going to force us to have a relationship with Him. God is not going to force us to live with Him in perfect communion for all time if we have no interest in that in this life. God respects us that much. And He's given us free agency and free will to make those decisions. And he, he's not going to force us into loving Him and being in a relationship with Him. In fact, what the Bible teaches is that God, God doesn't desire for anybody to go to hell. He doesn't send anybody there. And He doesn't want anybody to go there. In fact, He'd be happy if He could shut the whole place down. But sin demands that a place exist for people who rebel against God and who don't desire the good gifts that He offers. I think about Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, when God says, I have no pleasure, not one bit, in the death of the wicked. Not even a little bit. My desire is that the wicked turn from his way and live. I don't want anybody to experience eternal destruction or death. I want people to turn away and live. And then two very popular passages well known from the New Testament, 2 Peter 3, 9. Peter says, God is what? Patient. He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 These may be a couple that you want to jot down. 
He, God, desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. These passages give us a glimpse into the heart of God. And in these passages, we see a God who doesn't delight in sending people to hell. He desires for all people to share a relationship with Him just as they were intended to from the very beginning. So it's not fun for Him to allow people to spend eternity apart from His presence because that's not what they were created to do. But God will not override anybody's free will. C.S. Lewis said there are only two kinds of people. Those who say, thy will be done to God, or those to whom God in the end says, thy will be done. Those who in this life say, I want to follow the will of God, I want to embrace Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I acknowledge that He's the only way, He's the only cure to sin, He's the only way to avoid the death that is coming. Those who say, thy will be done, God. And the other group, is those to whom God at the judgment day will say, Thy will be done. You weren't interested in sharing a relationship with me. You have been living in rebellion against me. And I will not force you to go to a place where you have to worship me for all eternity. You wouldn't even be interested in such a place. Thy will be done. Maybe the person says, Okay, so you're saying God allows people to go to hell. But because of their sin? (laughs) I mean, is sin really that big a deal? Is it that big a deal? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. People, not just outside the church, people sitting on the pew every week, myself included, we underestimate sin and the all-destructive nature of sin. We don't grasp the necessity of hell because we don't grasp the severity of sin. We don't get it. We don't understand the havoc that it wreaks and the great damage that it causes to, to all humanity, to the whole world and the whole universe. Sin has totally and utterly wrecked life. Sin is serious business. It's a big deal. Why does a police officer write speeding tickets? When the blue lights are in our rearview mirror, we tend to get cynical about the officer's motivation for pulling us over. I think I mentioned to some of you that I was pulled over recently. I confess. I turned left when I should have stopped at red. And sometimes, if you've been in my shoes, you see those blue lights and you start thinking, oh, come on, come on. Maybe the department is trying to raise some money in fines. Perhaps the officer has a quota to meet. It's the end of the month. Maybe the officer's ex-girlfriend drove the same color and model of car that I do and he just has something against it. It's easy to look at the ticket and assume a negative motivation. But would it change your feeling about that officer if you knew that his child was hit and killed by a speeding driver. Sin seems like no big deal. Seems harmless. Until you begin to see in the Scriptures the amount of damage that it causes. And then you begin to understand that sin is a big deal. 
John Barnett said, a hard look at the doctrine of hell should first change our view of sin. Most believers do not take sin as seriously as God does. Now our time is slipping away, and I know, I know, you can only do so much in a 20 to 25, sometimes 30 minute sermon. There are many other questions and concerns that we haven't discussed. Other things that you're thinking that we haven't gotten into this morning. But I hope that this gets the ball rolling and I hope this has been food for thought as you consider what is often a big roadblock for people as they think about embracing Jesus and Christianity as a way of life. Here's what I know for sure. Despite the fact that there are many other questions that we have, uh, that we have not discussed today, here's what I know for sure. The fact that there is a hell should light a fire within us to spread the gospel. Should it not? I think about what the magician who is an atheist, uh, Penn Jillette, of the duo Penn and Teller. He made a video one time about after a magic show, a believer came up to him and handed him a Bible and wanted to have a conversation with him about Jesus. And he said, you know what? I don't believe a word that that man says, but I respect him. Because if he really believes that I'm going to be lost for all eternity because I've, I've rejected Jesus, then he's doing what he ought to do in telling me. He said, how much do you have to hate me if you think that I'm going to be lost for all eternity and you don't tell me? I mean, how little do you think of me if you're not going to come up and at least try to talk to me about Jesus Christ and the salvation that can come through him? What I know for sure is this, the fact that there's a hell should compel us and motivate us to go out the doors this morning and start telling people that there, there is a God and Jesus Christ is His Son and we can be saved eternally through Him. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, once said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. He also said, and I have fallen short of this this morning, because maybe I don't understand the severity of sin, as I should. He said, no man should preach on hell who can do so with dry eyes. Nobody should talk about hell who can do so with dry eyes. It should be a cause of great concern for us. And this morning, praise God that sin has a cure and that heaven can be our final home. I don't like asking for amens, but can I get an amen? Praise God that there's a way out and that God, out of His great love and mercy and compassion, has given us a, a way to spend eternity in communion with Him as He intended from the, the very beginning. Sin has a cure. The cure is Jesus, and heaven can be our final home. And my question to you is, have you been to Jesus? Have you been to Jesus? Austin Jackson, I'm proud to call him my brother, was baptized into Christ on Monday evening. He's been to Jesus. Do you need to come to Jesus for the cleansing power of his blood? It's only his blood that can wash away your sins and make you holy and righteous enough to stand in the presence of God. Only by being submerged in that watery grave of baptism can you come into contact with that blood that offers forgiveness. And the gift of the Spirit 
which provides a relationship with God that will extend into eternity. You know, one of the things Austin said is, I don't want to spend eternity apart from my family. They've been to Jesus and I haven't yet. And I need to come to Jesus so that I can be with them forever. You need to come to Jesus so that you can be with God forever and be with all His saints, all those who have confessed His name. That's why you were made. That's why you're here. To share a relationship with God. That's what He desires. That's how you're wired, hardwired to exist in communion with Him. You need to come to Jesus so that you can share in that relationship which will bring countless delights and pleasures and good things from this time forth and forevermore. Have you been to Jesus? Will you come to Jesus this morning while we stand and sing?